This is 28, where we're going to be this morning for the next little bit. Glad you're here and glad we get to worship in all these different ways together. Glad we get to study from a little section of God's Word together this morning. And I hope you will join me there in your own Bible. There should be one close by. If you didn't bring one with you, that's all right. You got one on your phone or uh, traditional paper and ink Bible. Just uh, look at one with me because I want to point out a couple of words here that it would mean a whole lot more to you guys if you saw it in your own Bible rather than me just telling you what it says here. Genesis 28, the last part of the chapter, verses 10 through 22 is where we're going to focus for part of it. And then uh, actually we're going to end up in John chapter 1. So we'll look at two texts together this morning for a few minutes. In uh, John 1, Jesus actually refers back to the story in a what I think is a pretty fascinating kind of way. It's pretty neat. And so I look forward to sharing that with you in a few minutes because Jesus uses the story of Jacob to make it mean so much more than what we read in Genesis 28. But first, let's go through this story together. Let me set the context for you a little bit so that we'll be able to understand what's going on with Jacob here in, in Genesis 28. Remember Jacob? You know much about Jacob, this fella? Jacob was not exactly the kind of guy that you wanted to be like. Now, I know he's one of the patriarchs. He's one of the, I mean, you got Abraham, you got Isaac, you got Jacob, right? Jacob's the father of 12 sons who would become the heads of 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is the father of Judah. And Judah is the great, 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 a whole bunch of greats, grandfather of Jesus through Joseph and Mary. And so Jacob's a pretty important guy as far as the Bible is concerned. Pretty big, pretty big deal here, but he's not a good person, not really. In fact, his life up until this point has been characterized by several pretty big acts of deceit, which is basically what his name meant. Jacob is a liar. He's a deceiver. So stuff has happened leading up to Genesis 28. Jacob has, you may remember from earlier on, Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. And one day Esau came in and he was hungry, he was famished, and Jacob said, Jacob had some stew on the stove, and he said, I'll give you a pot of this if you'll give me your birthright. Esau was older, so he had a birthright that Jacob didn't have, double the inheritance that Jacob would get. So if you give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of stew. And so Esau said, well, I'm about to die anyway of hunger. I'll go ahead and take the stew, and you can have my birthright. So Jacob deceived his brother later on in life. In fact, this happened just before Genesis 28. Later on in life... Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, was about to die. He's getting really, really old. They know he doesn't have much more time on earth. And so Jacob wants to take advantage of one last opportunity to deceive his family and steal the blessing that should have gone to his older brother Esau. And so he and his mother concoct this plan where Jacob himself will dress up like his brother. Isaac can't see anymore. He's blind. So they come up with this plan where Jacob's going to dress up like his brother. Esau had hairy arms, and so Jacob put this goat skin on his arms to make his arms seem like his brother's, and it does all sorts of stuff. You can read about that later, but, but just, just take my word for it at this point. Jacob went through this whole big deal where they deceived, he deceived his father, and, and Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob. Well, later on, Esau comes in, and he realizes that his brother has stolen his blessing in addition to his birthright. And Esau was, to put it mildly, he was furious. He's going to kill his brother Jacob. 
And that's back in a time where stuff like that happens. I mean, it happens today sometimes, I guess, but pretty violent world that these guys lived in. And so Esau's going to kill Jacob, and Jacob's mother says, you need, to, you need to leave, you need to get away from here, your brother's going to kill you. Father says, we, don't want to, we want you to go away anyway because you need to find a wife from not this area. You need to go back to your kinfolks in another part of the world. You need to go and find a wife. So Jacob, up until this point, has been a man of deceit. And when we come to Genesis 28, he is leaving, he's running away, he's going to a far land, it's about 450 miles northeast of where he is. He's leaving this promised land that God had promised to the family. He's going away from there, and he's on his way up to a place called Haran, or up above it's called Paden Aram. doesn't really matter so much, other than you need to know it's not a part of the promised land. That's an important thing here. So he's running. He's a fugitive. He's got nothing. He's stolen the blessing. He's stolen the birthright. But as of right now, that means absolutely nothing to him because he doesn't have anything. He's not married, has no kids, and he's leaving his home. He's in a pretty vulnerable place. And that's where we are when we come to Genesis 28, the text that Will read for us a few minutes ago that Adam talked about in our communion thoughts. This text is written and it's describing a point in Jacob's life where he is as vulnerable as he gets. He has nothing. He's leaving home. He has no family. And he goes to sleep. Goes to sleep. And God sends him a dream. Now, Jacob's life is characterized by manipulation. He tries to work things out himself. Like, Jacob, Jacob is, he wants to make sure, he knows where he wants to get, and he thinks he's got to do everything on his own. So he's going to manipulate people, he's going to manipulate situations in order to bring about the desired end. That's the way he works. That's, his, that's the way he does things. He'll lie, he'll deceive, he'll manipulate, he'll get people to do what he wants them to do so that he can get what he wants. That's the kind of person Jacob is. But you read this chapter, and Jacob doesn't have any cards left to play. He didn't, he, he didn't have anything to do. He didn't have anybody to manipulate. He's tried everything he, he can up until this point. He's deceived his brother, deceived his father, and now he's at a point where he's got nothing, and he goes to sleep. He's as vulnerable as he can get, and God comes to him in a dream. Now, here's where I want you to look at your text, because I want you to notice something. I don't know if you noticed this. You might have noticed it when, when Will was reading this for us at the beginning of worship. Did you notice the repetition of a word here, particularly... Jacob goes to sleep. He's taken one of these stones out. He's using it as some sort of a pillow, apparently. Verse 12, he went to sleep. He, got it. he had a dream. And here's the word I want you to notice. Here's the word that's repeated several times. A dream and behold. That's the way that I'm reading from the ESV. That's the way it comes through in the ESV. If you've got a different translation that doesn't have the word behold there and doesn't have something, then I want you especially to know that the author of this book is putting this word in here intentionally so that we might listen up. You'll notice that, I mean, this in English, we don't say behold. If, like, if I'm talking to you and I say behold, it's going to be kind of weird, right? I say, you know, hey, I wanted to tell you, behold, I'm about to go somewhere. You'd think he's using some weird kind of language. So we don't say behold much. We might say, you know, if I'm talking to you and I say, hey, Listen to what I'm about to tell you, okay? Some sort of pause there. I don't know what word we might use. Hey, seriously, seriously, listen to what I'm about to say. I'm talking to you, and I say, seriously, listen 
to this, okay? That's what, that's what this author's doing. When he puts the word behold in it, in there, it's, there's, a, there's a reason for that, especially when he uses it again and again. It's, it's a way of pausing and saying, listen up. That's the reader. These, these readers would have known this. Behold, listen up. So look what he does here. Verse 12, uh, he dreamed, and behold. Okay, I want to listen to what follows the behold there. There was a ladder set up on the earth. I'll come back to that in a second. I want to talk about that ladder. But verse 13, and behold. There's a, listen up again. The Lord stood above it. So I'm going to pay attention to that. You got this behold. Oh, oh, I skipped one. At the end of verse 12, and behold, the angels of God are there. And behold, verse 13, God is standing above it. Verse 15, behold, God says it there. I am with you. See, notice this. The author here puts this there because he wants us to listen particularly to what he's saying in those places. Okay? So let's talk about the first behold. Behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Oh, this is pretty neat. I, I, this image here, this is the best I could come up with as far as some sort of an image there. It's probably not historically accurate, but I couldn't find one that I liked. That's a ladder. That's what I think of when I, when I read the word ladder. It's a ladder, you know, a ladder with rungs on it. You climb up the ladder, and that's the way it's translated. It could be that sort of ladder, but that would be kind of weird for the ancient world for them to have a ladder like this. Probably it ought to be a staircase, or it could be a ramp, but something different from a ladder, but some sort of something, probably going at an angle from earth all the way up into heaven. That's what he sees. And the angels are going up, and the angels are coming down. But the important thing here for us to see is that you got heaven, you got heaven connected to earth. God is there, earth is here, and there's this connection between heaven and earth. I'm going to come back to this in a minute because I want you to see what I think God is trying to teach Jacob here. Essentially, Jacob, I think Jacob thinks, I don't have any more options. I'm done. All by myself. I'm leaving home. My family isn't with me. I've, I've got nothing left to do. And God comes to him and he says essentially to Jacob, look, Jacob, God, I, God, I am watching over you. Heaven is concerned about earth. Heaven knows what's going on. Heaven and earth are connected here. What you're doing here, I'm, I'm aware of. I'm with you. He's going to come back and he's going to say that explicitly here in a minute. But just for now, just understand that in the, in the world that Jacob lived in, these angels descending and ascending on this ladder, this staircase, would have communicated this idea that heaven and earth are connected that we don't live in two different spheres, so to speak, and there's no connection between the two. What's going on down here, God is very concerned about and he's very involved in. That's a pretty important lesson for you and me to get because sometimes you ever, sometimes you ever feel like, man, God didn't care about me. He's forgotten about me. I pray, I pray, I pray. I try to do the right thing and look what's happening. God doesn't care. Read the Psalms. Lots of the Psalms have that kind of mentality. David sometimes felt like that. Other Psalmists felt like that. God doesn't care. Where are you, God? Are you sleeping? They, they would say things like that to God. Well, this is, this is response to that sort of thing. Heaven and earth are connected. you got the ladder, the staircase going from one to the other, and angels are going up and they're coming down. In other words, they're carrying out, they're coming down to do God's bidding. They're going up, in a sense, to get God's commands so that they can do what he wants them to do. God is working. So behold, you got this ladder set up on the earth, and you've got these angels 
um, ascending and descending on it. The second behold is in verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust. Does this sound familiar to you? If you've been... You've read Genesis, or if you've, you've heard this before, maybe, this is the same promise that God made to Abraham. It is the same promise that he made to Isaac, and God, Jacob's father. And, and it's, it's this promise that God is renewing to Jacob, essentially saying, what I told your granddad and what I told your father, I am telling you the same thing. I am going to do what I said I would do with your granddad with your father, I'm going to do it through you, Jacob. I'm not done with you. You may be a fugitive. You may not have any, uh, I don't know, you may not have any great hopes of success because of where you are, but don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to do what I said I would do to your father and to your grandfather. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the land and all, this, all these promises. But look at the next behold, verse 15. Behold, three things here. I want you to hear this part especially because these are three needs that everybody in this room has. Behold, I am with you. There is this, this innate need for you and me to know that we are not alone. Loneliness, which some of you have experienced or are experiencing from a human perspective, is difficult to manage. Jacob was all by himself. And his greatest need at that moment was to know that God was there. God says, behold, Jacob, listen to me. I am with you. And then number two, I will keep you wherever you go. That word keep means to protect. The second need that everybody in this room has is we need to feel secure. A lot of the, a lot of the money that we spend is spent so that we might have security insurance that we buy, investments that we pay into, houses that we build, security systems that we might have, fences that we build, all center around this need that we have for security. Jacob was as vulnerable as a person can get. He's asleep. You're never more vulnerable than when you're asleep because you don't know what's going on around you. He's sleeping. He's a fugitive. He's all by himself. God comes to him in a dream and says, Jacob, I am with you, and I'm going to protect you no matter where you are. You leave the land, I'll be in that land too. I'm not just the God of Canaan. I'm the God of the world. Number three, he says, I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. See this, the third need that we have is we have a need for a home. We need a place to belong. Everybody needs that. You need it. I need it. You ever felt disconnected from your home? You ever felt like you don't have a place to go home to? Maybe you don't have a, a family uh, to belong to. You ever felt like this sort of disconnection? It's a very vulnerable feeling. And God says to Jacob, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I am not done with you. I'm going to protect you. So that's the next one. He, this, these are God's promises. Jacob awoke from his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now read on with me in verse 18. Earlier that morning, Jacob took the stone that he had used as a pillow, and he made a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. That's a way of dedicating it or sanctifying it. 
He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. The word bet or bait uh, means house, and El is uh, like Elohim. You know, El is a word for God. So this is the house of God. He, because God dwelled here, he named it Bethel, the house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at, this, at the first. Now I want you to notice what Jacob does here. I'm going to pause, slow down here for a minute. Because I want you to see this. Jacob made a vow. Remember what I told you about Jacob? He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. He's somebody who knows what he wants and he's going to do what it takes to get it. He's going to manipulate people. He's going to lie to people. He's going to do what he can do to bring about his desired goal, even if it's unethical. I want to suggest to you that Jacob's character has not changed. Not yet. He's still, as one commentator I was reading this week said, he's still a bargain hunter. He's still looking for a good deal. Notice what he says in verse 20. Jacob made a vow and he said, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. Very important word in verse 20 is the word, it's a small word in English. You notice it? If. It's the word if. God, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. You hold up your end of the bargain, here's what I'll do. You do what you just promised me you're going to do, and everything works out okay, and I feel like you've done a good job of doing your part of it, uh, I'll do some stuff for you. I'll, just, I'll, I'll even make you this uh, memorial here. I'll do that for you, God, if you, if you do what, your part. You see this? This is Jacob. This is what Jacob does. This is the Jacob who stole his brother's birthright. This is the Jacob who lied to his father in order to steal his brother's blessing. This is the Jacob whose name means deceiver. That's, what he, that's who he was. He's the manipulator. Okay, you made some promises to me. I'm going to say, if you keep those promises, then here's what I'm going to do for you. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go. In other words, he, he, he basically lists the same three things God has said. I'll be with you, I'll protect you, and I'll bring you back to this land. And Jacob says, if you are with me, and if you protect me, give me food, clothing, take care of me, and you bring me back to this land, then, I will, then you'll be my God. And then I'll build you this memorial. Then, if, then, if, then. Okay. Now, I want you to do something with me for a minute. I want you to go to John 1, and I want you to look with me at what Jesus says about this text. I think you will, maybe, you'll maybe be surprised at what Jesus does in John 1 with our text, and we'll be done with this. John 1, look at this. So John 1 is a, is a text where Jesus himself reflects in a, in a, a little bit of a subtle way, I guess, but he reflects on what Jacob, what Jacob's dream meant. So there's this thing going on in Jesus' life. This is early in his ministry. He's calling some of the, what we know of as the 12 apostles, Philip and Nathaniel, Andrew and Peter. And this thing happens. Uh, Philip went and got Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. And Nathaniel said about Jesus, he's from Nazareth, Jesus was, he grew up in Nazareth which wasn't a good place to be from. It was a pretty 
city with a bad reputation. So anyway, um, verse 46 of John 1. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Talking about Jesus. Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Obviously, the last verse there is a reference to what we just read, right? You're going to see heavens open. You're going to see angels ascending and descending, not on a ladder, not on a staircase, but on the Son of Man, talking about himself. Now, two things here. Two things. One is this. I think we're supposed to read these two passages side by side, and we're going to notice something in particular. Number one, about Jacob. Jacob was, as I said many times, a deceiver, a manipulator, a liar. Jesus, in, in the John 1 text, though, when he refers to this latter dream, I think we're supposed to read this intentionally to see a contrast between Jacob in our story and Nathaniel in this passage. Notice what Jesus says, particularly about Nathaniel. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed. By the way, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and all of his descendants were called Israelites. So Jesus is referring to Nathaniel, and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no what? Deceit. Or your translation may say, in whom there is no guile. Same means the same thing. Jacob, his name meant deceit. And I can't help but think that Jesus means for me to read these two texts side by side. You got Jacob, who is a deceiver, a manipulator, and here you've got Nathaniel, and Jesus looks into his heart, and Jesus says, Here's an Israelite, and there is no deceit. In him. You've got Jacob <coughs> who basically says, Okay, God, if you hold up your end of the deal, I'll do mine. I'll do this. I'll do this. Nathaniel, in contrast, Jesus says, Nathaniel says, How'd you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree if you, earlier. And, and did you notice what Nathaniel said in response to that? Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus is kind of amazed by that. He says, are you, are, you, are you making that kind of confession based on that? Based on the fact that I saw you under the fig tree? You're confessing me as the son of God based on that? He says, you're going to see bigger things than that. But here's the deal. And here's why I want to challenge you, me. What kind of faith do we have? What kind of faith does God want us to have? You see, you and I can live our lives waiting for God to hold up His end of the deal. We can, we can live our lives hoping, praying, depending on, uh, well, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. If, if, you'll, if you'll get me that job, if you'll get me that raise, if you'll get me that, the cure of this health issue I'm struggling with, if you'll get me that relationship, if you'll do this, then I'll give you everything that I've got or whatever. 
My question for us is, what kind of faith do we have? Do we have a Jacob kind of faith? An if-then faith? If you do this, God, then I'll do this. I'm going to wait on you to, to hold up your end of the deal before I do this. Or do we have a Nathaniel kind of faith? And a Nathaniel kind of faith is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my full allegiance. You are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. You see, what, and this is true, Jesus talks about this a lot in the New Testament. You become like a child. You have the faith of a child. And a child's faith is, I'm going to trust. And I'm going to trust. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We're going to have an if-then faith, or we're going to have a Nathaniel faith that says, Lord, I am going to trust in you. I've seen what you've done. I know what you've done in Christ. I've seen your acts in the past, and I'm going to trust that no matter what I face in my life, you're going to take care of it in the end. But I'm going to sell out. I'm going to give everything i got now in view of the fact that I trust in you there's a difference in those two kinds of faith. The second thing I want you to notice here is that obviously Jesus says, you're going to see that the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on not the staircase, not a ladder, but on the Son of Man, on Himself, on Jesus. And this is a big deal. Because Jacob saw this staircase, but we now know because of what we read in the New Testament, that that staircase is Jesus. How we have access to God is through Christ. And if you read this in the context of John 1, the way John starts out his chapter in John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then it says this, And the Word, who is God, was made flesh. This is in John 1, 14. The Word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. You see, the Bible, in a, in a sense, is all about God's presence. God dwelling and inviting us to be in God's dwelling place. Be with him. So you've got God descending, in a sense, to the, to the presence of Jacob. You've got the tabernacle that they built in the Old Testament, which was a building where God would dwell. You've got the temple that they later built in which God would dwell. But those were all temporary, and they were mediated through these human structures. But what we have in Christ is we have God dwelling among us, not in a building but in a person. We have heaven connected to earth, not through a staircase, not through a temple, but in the person of Jesus himself. We have God not sending an angel, but sending himself. We have God incarnate. This is the story of the gospel. We've got God in flesh, in Jesus, and that is how we access the Father now is through a staircase. Not a staircase, but through Jesus. And that's why we can have faith like Nathaniel and not like Jacob. Because we now know, based on this revelation of God in Jesus Christ, that God is willing to do whatever it takes for us. 
Because we follow the story of Jesus from John 1, and I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Nathaniel, you're going to see bigger things than that. You're going to see heavens open and angels and descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Where does that happen? It happens at the cross. When Jesus himself, this is, this is God giving everything. I don't have to have an if-then kind of faith. Because if, Paul does, Paul talks about this in Romans 8, if God will do that, if God will do that, if God will sacrifice His own Son for me, is there any possible thing He will withhold from us? So we don't have to have a Jacob kind of faith. God, if you'll do, God's already done it. He's already done it. We see what He's done in Christ. And so we don't have an if you'll do this kind of thing. We have a since you've done that, since you've done that, I am going to live for you. I'm going to be, we're going to be like Nathaniel. You are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And I'm going to give you everything that I've got because you have done that. See, that's the beauty of the story of Scripture. We see Jacob's ladder and we read it and we think, that's a pretty cool story. Neat dream that Jacob had. Pretty cool promises God made. And then we read John 1. And we see that it's not just about Jacob's ladder. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about God coming to us in Jesus and saying, I have given you everything. So we don't have to say, okay, I'm going to see how this works out. I'm going to see what you do. God's already done. God's already done it. And if he'll do that, there's nothing good that God will withhold from us. And so we can feel free to say, Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this, I know this, you're going to watch out for me. You're going to be with me, you're going to protect me, and you're going to give me a home, a place to belong, because I know what you've done. If you're not a Christian this morning... Jesus invites you to come to Him. We're all searching. Every one of us is searching. We're searching for fulfillment. We're searching for contentment. We're searching for a place to belong. We're searching for security. We need to know that we're not alone in this big old universe. We need to know that there's a purpose and a meaning for our existence. We need to know that there's something more to live for than Friday night. We need, we need to know that there's something better to live for than getting to be that age when we can retire. We need to know we're searching for that. And the answer is here. It's here. The answer is that God gives you meaning. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He is the King of Israel, He is God in the flesh, if you believe that, that's why you live. That's your purpose. He's given you His presence, He's given you security, and He's given you a home in Christ. That's what Jacob's ladder is all about. It's about Christ. If you're ready to come to him today, then he, 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 he extends the invitation to you. His invitation is, come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so you come to him with faith in your heart. We've already talked about it. You come to him saying, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel, and I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my life because you'll take good care of it. You come with that kind of confession, turning away from your past and being baptized for the forgiveness of all of your sins. God, God will bless you. He'll walk with you. And he'll take care of us. You know, that's the promise that he's made in our stories that we've read today. 
Maybe you need to come back to him because your life has not been lived lately, quite honestly, consistently with that confession. And you need to, you need to make that confession once again and ask for the prayers of your church family here. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come. Now stand. Let's sing this song.